for some of you, um, this will be, I don't, I don't know if there's anybody here that this will be your last Sunday. Because, not, not last Sunday as in for the year, I'm meaning last Sunday ever. Because like, Eileen's graduating, but to my knowledge, are you, are you leaving us? Okay, alright. And then you're leaving us? You're, oh, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so I didn't know you were graduating. Okay, so, but it's not your last Sunday. So, so to my knowledge, there's nobody that's the last Sunday. But for, for many of you, is it your last Sunday? But state? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, it's Jenna's last Sunday. <sighs> okay, well, it's Jenna's last Sunday, which means that, uh, that everybody needs to make sure and, and love on her tonight. Um, for, for some of you, I won't see you through, through the summer, and then I'll see you again. Um, for those of you who I will see you again, we will still be going through the Gospel of Mark when you get back. Okay, just so you know, Jenna, by the time you come visit, there's a decent chance we'll still be going through the Gospel of Mark. This is actually the 53rd week. Okay, so we've been going through this longer than a year, but we've only made it through 50, 53 different uh, sermons on the Gospel of Mark. Um, so if you're interested and you want to continue listening, there is a podcast that so you can hear this stuff over and over um, uh, well, not over and over. That sounds weird. Such as, if you didn't get to hear Wesley's sermon last week, I would highly encourage you to download it. Uh, and there's lots of spots. If you go on the message site, there's actually a link to the podcast there. Uh, but you need to hear what Wesley said last week. For right now, let's go through the eighth chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, verses 22nd, 22nd, 22 uh, I'm working on a paper, guys, and it's, it's mixing me up. Thank you very much, Dev. Uh, 22 through 26, which says the following. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought, uh, brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Now, this is a side note. Uh, I'm going to read the whole scripture again. Uh, I'm not talking about this tonight, but I hope you, you see what some people... I, I tend to think friends here, but what some people, according to Scripture, did. What did, what did some people do? I've only read one verse thus far, so it shouldn't be too hard to, to remember that. They didn't just bring. They begged. Why would you beg? Or at least you thought he could do something about it. Maybe you didn't think he was going to say yes, but you did believe that he had the power to do it. It'd be stupid if they begged him and they were like, but Jesus can't do anything. We're just going to beg for the fun of it. It's just a lot of fun to beg. I like groveling. So therefore, I'm going to go before this guy and just grovel. And, and at least for me, um, this shames me. Because I believe with all my heart that Jesus heals. And I don't just mean by that that he heals physically, though I do believe he does that. I believe that he heals emotionally. I believe he heals relationships. I believe he heals that which is impossible for anyone else or any other method to make right. And, and unfortunately, I quite often don't go before him and beg. <coughs> Many of you know that, that I come from, from a family that, that uh, does not go to church 
My parents would tell you that Jesus was a great guy. They, they would uh, question whether or not he was God. And there are points in my life where I beg for Jesus to make himself known to my parents. And, and my shame is, is that I can't say that it's all the time. They begged Jesus. Because they believed he could make a difference. They begged him because they believed that he could restore the sight of this man. Because where Jesus goes, healing comes. And it it is to my shame that, that as someone who professes that he is Lord, that I don't beg more than I do. But that's not the sermon. So they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Now, guys, there are several things we could talk about here. We could talk about the fact that that they begged Jesus. And I I just did a little bit of that just because that's something that that gets me. We could talk about... Uh, certain other things on, on Jesus healing the blind because it is a sign of the Messiah that he healed the blind. There's, there's this, this story where John the Baptist, who, who proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, then sends his disciples to say, are you the one? In other words, hey, I said you were the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of, of his people. Um, but now I need to know again, are you the one or do I look for somebody else? Are you the Messiah or do I look for someone else? And Jesus sends back this, this word of, hey, the deaf receive their sight. The blind, excuse me, <laughs> the deaf receive their hearing. <laughs> the blind receive their sight. And we talked about this a while back because the one thing he lives out, leaves out is that the prisoners are set free. And at that time, John the Baptist was a prisoner. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus can be brutal. And, and so healing Healing the blind was a sign of the Messiah, but we're not going to talk about that tonight. Instead, we're going to talk about this. Does anybody know what this is? This is a game that you probably played as a kid. Come on, it's on the bottom. It's on the left. What's different? It's a graphic. Nobody's eye moved. Oh, yes, right there. Very good. I'm sorry. I thought you were like, the eye's moving. Guys... All right, can I go ahead and tell you, I hate this game. Yeah, you probably love this game because you're good at it. Anybody else in the room stink at these things? Okay, so, all right, there, I don't feel as bad. But I would like to, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm killing it because y'all are all focused on that. <laughs> I'll pull it back up again. Uh, I want to suggest this, Kenny and Jacob and Crystal. Next time, don't, you know, don't, don't wait so long because, you know, you're, you're making a brother feel pretty bad, okay? <laughs> Next time when I'm like, hey, I'm an idiot and I don't know this, and I'm like, does anybody else have this problem? Just do me a favor, raise your hand fast rather than like, because yeah. I'm starting to feel bad. All right, but these things, I hate them. I hate them, I hate them, I hate them, I hate them because I suck at them. 
Okay, you can go like, what's the difference? I'm like, well, they're all red. They're all blue. I mean, I need the difference to be like, hey, this guy's yellow and this guy is plaid. I mean, that's the type of difference I need. Some of y'all are like, oh, I see it. I see it. You know, the eye. The eye's different. This game is a brilliant thing to, to, uh, to use for interpreting the New Testament and the Old Testament for that matter. Now, some of you are going to be gone and you can't be a part of that. But this summer, we, there's going to be a group of us that are going to read through the entire New Testament. And the whole reason we want to read through the entire New Testament is um, one verse of Scripture is great. But we forget that, that there's this whole tradition. It's so much fun to me watching because I can see your eyes focused on the picture behind me. Jenna's over here just going. <laughs> I was feeling bad that you were leaving until I noticed your eyes going like this. Now I don't hurt so bad. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking, Jenna. <laughs> Is it my fault because I put the picture, picture out there? Guys, here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of, of reading all of the New Testament, all of the Old Testament, as you begin to notice certain things that are patterns, but all, now she feels bad and she's staring right at me. It's okay, you can, look, <laughs> you can look back there. The other thing you notice is when something is out of the ordinary. In this passage that I just read, there's one thing that happens in it only this time. It's the only time it happens in all four of the Gospels. And therefore, it should just go, bing! No, isn't that weird though? You would like to be able to say, well, it's the only time Jesus spit on somebody, but it's not. No, I said that I see people that look like trees. Yeah, but I'm saying that that's not the, the thing that's completely weird. Yeah, but even, even more obvious than that, because you're right, yes, is this. Jesus heals lots and lots of times. He never asks somebody if it works. This is the only time of every healing that Jesus does that he asked anybody, did it work? Okay, just looking in, 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 in the Gospel of Mark, if you just go back, the, the um, miracle before this is he heals a, uh, a, a person who is deaf and unable to speak, mute. He heals them with spit, and he doesn't ask at all. Just assumes. Boop, Jesus does it. You would think, wouldn't you think you would know if a blind person could see though? Because, you know, suddenly they're not walking into things. That's not nice. I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I could tell that Jenna was focused on the, on the graphic because you can see people's eyes. You can tell if somebody's acting in a movie and they're acting like they're blind or not because they're always staring in the wrong spot. I mean, that's just kind of part of it. If you saw the book of Eli, that's how you know that that's just, they're just messing around when you get into the movie because Denzel Washington always looks in the right spot. If you hadn't seen the book of Eli by now, tough. It's been out for years. Yes, sir, Jacob. <laughs> so if someone is not looking at me, I should assume that they're blind. Yes. <laughs> if somebody's not looking at you. It, or that there's someone more pretty behind you. Or there's someone prettier Aww. than. Uh, <laughs> said the person who's behind you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all about Aaron. So, guys, before that. There's a young, a young lady, a young woman who is possessed by a demon. Jesus heals her, doesn't ask. You can look through every one of the miracles. He never, ever asks, do you see anything? So we have a question. 
Why? Yeah. Why would he ask this time? And I would love to give you a a straightforward answer from the scripture, but I don't know. Because the scripture doesn't completely reveal it. I mean, maybe it's because he's blind and you can't tell if if a blind man's seeing or not, but I think you can. I have a blind friend. I I know a decent amount about blindness uh, interacting with him at that point. I could tell if Bart suddenly could see. I could guarantee you I would know. Guys, why? And the beauty of it is is that we actually have an example of, of why this story might be here, and it comes from church tradition. Now, I am a fan of church tradition in some ways and not a fan of church tradition in other ways. Uh, I love some of the beauty that comes from church tradition. Um, many of you have been to the Tenebrae service that we do that is an ancient uh, service. And, and it, there's this great beauty in it and great simplicity. What I don't like is when tradition begins to bind this down. And the reason I don't like it is because of this. Anybody ever played the game telephone before? I, I tried to... Uh, way to raise your hand one, very well. Because <laughs> I tried to find what I think is the greatest example ever of the game telephone. And I couldn't find an image of it. If you've ever seen Madagascar 2, when, when they are, are flying, they do telephone up and down this group that's, uh, that's hanging. And, and basically the one person says, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, pass it on. And by the end of it, it's like, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, pass it hound. It just makes me laugh. Every time I think of it, my entire family busted a gut when we were watching the movie because we have Basset Hounds. So, so every now and then we're just like, Basset Hound! Because we think it's funny. But the game telephone is basically, I tell Jacob something, Jacob passes it down, and then Devin passes it down. And You guys are bad. One, one more issue, and it's gonna, this, this laser is going to scoot up a little bit. It's going to hit you in the eye, and then Jesus is going to have to bl- and not blind you. He's going to have to heal you and say, do you see anything? And then he's going to be like, no, because you messed with Robert during the sermon. <laughs> Was she doing it too? Yeah. See, what's the problem with telephone? It always gets messed up. And while church tradition is wonderful and we should listen to it for its wisdom, we shouldn't treat it as another source of authority. In other words, you listen to it to find out what it has wise to say, but at the same time you you realize it could be a little kooky. Okay? And here's what church tradition says about this passage of Scripture. That it was specifically put in the Gospels because we know that we... Everything Jesus did, we don't know. Okay, the Gospels even say, if, if everything he said had been written down, the, whole li- the library would fill the earth. What has been put in the Gospel is what is necessary for us to believe. And church tradition says that this story was put into the Gospel as a reminder for the disciples. Now Jesus says, do you see anything? And what does the guy say? Hey, good Lord of the Rings reference. Way to go, Jesse. Could be. I, I like that. I don't know for sure. Um, I find it interesting. So, so... What does this man say? He says, I see it, as as Jesse says. He says, says, I see 
And, and the, the actual Greek is kind of fascinating because instead of saying, I see people and they look like trees walking, which is our way of kind of trying to make sense of what he says. He says, I see men walking as trees. That would be a, a, a kind of literal translation there. And if you think about it, it makes no sense because trees don't walk unless they're ants. Which is kind of fun because I think it's this man is so emotional at the moment, he can't even talk properly. But he basically says, I see men and they're blurry looking. Yeah. And that's really the question. Did it not take? See, that's why tradition says this was put in for the disciples. is because of this reference right here. This is actually uh, a reference that you may have heard before. Uh, there's several, a lot of literature that's been based off of this. Basically, from 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. When's the now? Yeah. Now, while we're living, now on this earth, we see as a poor reflection. Then, when's the then? When we're in the presence of God. When eternity has come and we are a part of eternity forever. See, now we see blurry, then we see face to face. And the tradition says that this is put in to remind the disciples where they came from. Because if you know their story, they see Christ and they don't understand who he is at all. And then he finally says, follow me to them. Wow, Devin, are you okay? I just saw you just jerk randomly. (laughs) Word of God just pulsed him in the head. The power of Christ compels me. Uh, Guys, they, they, they heard him say, follow me. And everything was clear, right? Well, no. The stories in the New Testament over and over again is Jesus is still blurry to them, but he's not as blurry as he was. And then when when he is resurrected and he ascends, they get it all perfect, right? No, it's still blurry. See, see, I love the fact that the disciples, as much as we make them out as, oh, it's St. Peter. And St. Peter's perfect. No, St. Peter's still an idiot who's been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Paul, two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul writes, two-thirds of the New Testament. Most of what we know about what the gospel is comes through the hand of Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul is still an idiot. He still screws up. He is a person who was known for murder. And then he goes on a missionary trip with with, uh, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And they get in a fight over John Mark. Because John Mark is a really young man and he gets homesick. Because he goes on a missionary journey with with them. And he gets homesick and he goes back to his mom. And then they they go out on another missionary trip again. And Barnabas, Barnabas goes, we need to take John Mark with us. We need to take John Mark with us. And Paul blows up. Blows up. Just freaks out. Like, no, he's betrayed us. Apparently forgetting that he killed somebody. Paul killed somebody. And Christ was like, I'll still choose you. But he blows up because John Mark leaves them and goes back home. And now John Mark's like, I want to go again. I'm ready. And Barnabas says, well, I'm going with him. 
If I have to choose between you, Paul, and choosing John Mark, I will choose John Mark. And God uses John Mark to write the gospel according to Mark. And later on we see where Paul says, John Mark is of great use to me, which I think is, is, uh, is a person like Paul finally saying, I was wrong. See, the beauty of it is they never get him right. He's still blurry. He just gets a little clearer each time. The passage of Scripture says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Now is our life now. We are following Him. It doesn't mean that He's so mysterious that we can't know Him. It means that He's so much greater than us that we can never act like we actually have Him defined and we have Him under control. If you have Christ under control, then you don't have Christ. You have your own false idol. And the best false idol is Jesus because he's the one who will trick you the most. I know that doesn't make sense at first. Let me repeat it again in a different way. The false idol that takes you the furthest away from Jesus is one that looks a lot like Jesus. But he's still not the real Christ. The real Christ is untamable. The real Christ is beyond us. The real Christ reveals himself to us, is not discovered by us. See, revelation is me imparting. Revelation is me saying, here, I will show you who I am. Discovery is us going, oh, I'll just figure this out perfectly. I've got it down. Jesus should still be blurry to us. Doesn't mean we don't know who he is. It means we know who he is because he reveals himself to us. So now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. So here's what this means. Hold on a second. I'll come back to that. (laughs) Oh, this is why I should never go off my notes. Okay. Your life right now, if you're a follower in Christ, you start out in Scripture as what's referred to as a baby. Because outside of life, it's never referred that way, okay? No, we start out as a new creation. Matter of fact, the verses, uh, two verses I just skipped over, this is what he says. Uh, this should be... There we go. There we go. There we go. Matthew. Uh, and, And he, and the he here is Jesus, says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. This is Jesus talking to those who want to follow him, talking to grown men and women. And he says, you need to become like a baby, like a child. Now, what does that mean? Yeah, isn't it interesting that you say receptive? Because we quite often think that the opposite is true. That we should learn to a point that we don't have to ask any more questions. That we know enough and we can just be the ones to provide answers. But if you think about the the people who are your best teachers, they're usually the ones who are the most curious and recognize how little they know. I'm in the midst of writing the proposal for my dissertation. I, 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 I can tell you, I know a decent amount of theology. Okay, I'm, I'm not world class by any stretch of imagination, but I can explain most things to you. I talk about the incarnation and the Trinity almost every week when we are here. 
If you have not heard me talk about God as community, then you have only been here once or twice at most, okay? And, and we talk about the incarnation together all the time. And I'm writing the theology of my paper. And would you like to know what is, is the theology of my paper? It's the incarnation and the trinity. And it is taking me months and months and months because I'm like, well, this doesn't cover it all. This just doesn't cover it all. It doesn't cover it all. The people who, who you should respect the most are the ones who are always asking the most questions because they are the most, and I love your word, Jacob, receptive. Think about who Jesus was talking to. The Pharisees weren't receptive. They were sure they had figured it all out. They were the experts there to teach the people who didn't know anything. And Jesus is talking to these people who've been trained all their lives because the disciples would have had training up until they were 13 to prepare them to maybe take the next step. But they would have been educated in the Jewish law. And Jesus is saying, if you don't become like a little baby, you can't enter the kingdom of God. First Peter which is the next passage, actually says it's like this. It says that we should, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave this simple stuff. doesn't mean we stay with the simple stuff, but we, we still crave that. Hey, think about babies. If they don't get their way, what do they do? Yeah, and they don't cry because they just enjoy crying. They want your stinking attention. Okay, It's like, look at me and look at me now. I want this. And nobody blames a baby for that. I mean, you would never be like, hey, Charlie, grow up. No. Charlie, yes, you can't do that, Jacob. But Charlie, when, when he fell and hurt his head that time, if he just stood up and he was like, wow, that really hurt me. Well, that would be freaky. <laughs> that would not be good. It would be like, whoa, something's wrong here. No, we understand how babies operate. And Jesus is literally saying, be like a child. Be receptive. And think of the pride the disciples could have had as, as the 12 apostles, the ones that had been closest to Jesus. They could have been the ones who were like, we know the most. And yet, church tradition says that this passage was put in to teach them. Jesus touches, and it's still blurry. So, We have a problem. I'm encouraging you to be a baby. <laughs> and yet scripture also says that if all we ever do is just crave milk, that's not cool. If all you ever do is act like a baby, that's not cool. Why? Yeah, go ahead. You don't have to win. Mm-hmm. Yes and no. I, I would change a little bit of what you just said because we do eat much of the same things. I mean, come on, people. We live in Wisconsin. One of the you know, one of the four food groups here is cheese. Okay. Yeah, we need bigger portions. We need to add stuff to it. Okay. And it, we, you know, if you question whether or not adults still drink milk, you should come to my house. Okay, they go through gallons of milk. It's just absurd. It's just like, oh, there's milk. I'll drink that right now. Just take the gallon. The gallon challenge is nothing at my family because my kids drink that much a day. Um, guys, we add to it. 
But the danger with this is that we can become begun to think, or we can become to think that we are mature. That we've got it down. We should grow, but that doesn't mean that what Jesus is saying is, hey, you were a baby and then you're going to be an adult before you're in my presence. I think of it kind of like this. See, we think that we have a starting point and then by the time we hit you know, a certain age, we've finished. And there are a lot of people my age who think they've finished. Unfortunately, a lot of people my age who are not growing in Christ in the sense of amazing challenges and growth. You can tell when a baby is developing. There's milestones. And, and then, you know, by the time they hit like 25, you, you've reached your, your permanent height and then you start to shrink is, is the way it typically works. But guys, that's not the way it works spiritually. And there are a lot of people my age and such who think, I've got it down now and my job is to teach others. Rather than realizing that it's not like this, it's more like our life is a small, small line with a much larger line that goes beyond it. See, we will see face to face. We will know Him perfectly, but we will not know Him perfectly until we are in His very presence. Our walk with Christ should be something where we get a little less blurry each day, but that doesn't mean that we know Him perfectly during this life. It, it means that as college students, you should be growing. And it will be an absolutely terribly sad statement if you look back on your life when you're my age and you say, the closest I ever was with Jesus was when I was 20 years old. It'd be terrible. And yet, that's what we do over and over and over. I, as a youth minister, I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, closest I ever was with God was when I was in youth ministry. That's awful. The goal should be when we're 80, that we go, I've never been so close to Jesus in my life. And the way that happens is if we're growing each and every day. So how do you grow? I'm asking. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Spiritually, how do you grow? <laughs> I love the fact that you said whey protein. Yes, that that is very true. That's what threw me off. I was not expecting that at all, Jacob. But yes, whey protein is is necessary for growth. Yes, sir. The way that muscles grow, though, is that when you work out, the muscle actually tears. And in that tearing process and the rebuilding there, the growth is made. Yeah. I mean, realistically, what you're saying is you use it and you use it a little more than it's prepared for. Because you know, if you use it for just what it was prepared for, it would not tear. Okay? You use it just a little more than it's ready for, which causes damage. And then you stop and it heals back and it heals back stronger than it was before. That's why you're sore when you work out. Because what you've done is you've torn the muscles just a little bit. So spiritually, how do we grow? Yes, ma'am. What does that mean? It means you have to like look at yourself. You have to like you know, you know who you are. 
That's good. In, in the book of the Psalms, uh, David says, search me and know me, O God. Find out if there's any wicked way in me. Which is basically what you're, you're saying. The only difference would be, it, you know, you're searching your heart, but what you're saying is, God, I want you to point out if there's something in me that needs to be changed. I want you to point out something in me that is not of your way. And let's get that out of there. Yes, ma'am. All right, I don't know if everybody could hear that or not. You need to see things that are uncomfortable with your faith and you need to challenge them. Did I, did I say that correctly? And I would so agree with that. See, one of the things I think we forget is that Jesus really ticked off a lot of people who were following him. He didn't just tick off those who disagreed with him. There's one time where he talks about his death and he's like, hey, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, No! And, and Jesus doesn't hold any punches. He's like, get behind me, Satan. So guys, we understand growth in so many other areas. How do you grow academically? Well, you study things you weren't ready for. And you push yourself. How do you grow physically? Well, you push yourself beyond your capabilities in understandable ways, okay? You don't destroy yourself, but you, you make your muscles work a little harder than, than they should. How do, you, uh, how do you grow as a parent? You do things you've never done before. We understand growth in all these other things and for some reason spiritually we think that we are born and then we are just matured and then everything stops. But this story, Jesus heals the blind man and he says do you see anything? Maybe the, maybe the greatest question ever for, for growth in following him. Do you see anything? Do you see Christ around you? Do you see circumstances where Jesus can be glorified? Do you see him doing anything in your life? Because you were not meant to stay a babe. You were meant to grow. So I'll show you this one photo because I find it incredibly disturbing. Jesus doesn't want you to be like that because we all know it's freaky. He wants you to grow. He wants your faith to be challenging. Um, who was it that said, am I going to miss the college students? I, I, somebody said it. I love this. I, I know you are. It was, it was here, except Jenna, you weren't in this conversation. Um, and it was one of you four. I don't, was it you? Okay, Allison. I, I wasn't sure who it was. But somebody said, are you going to miss? And, and my answer was, well, yeah, I kind of miss you, but I'll be excited about hearing things. See, the summer's this great opportunity for growth. Kaylee is leaving. It's a great opportunity for growth. Jenna is leaving. It's this great opportunity for growth. Yeah, I'm going to miss you guys, but I can't wait to hear how you grow. That's awesome. See, those challenges are where you grow. And for those of us who are here this summer, we need to get our butts out and challenge ourselves to follow Christ in specific ways by loving people that are hard for us to love, by doing more and serving more than we've ever served before, by reading His Word and praying and, and spending more time than we have with Him before. We need to push ourselves so that our muscles can rebuild and be stronger. I, I used this two weeks ago, but here's Mike Iaconelli's uh, statements concerning um, what Jesus did. Jesus did the unexpected. Uh, whatever Jesus did, he upset people. 
When Jesus did something that was costly, when Jesus did something, people's lives were changed. Jesus spent a lot of time doing nothing, which was actually something. And Jesus failed, at least it looked that way. Here's my encouragement this summer. Ask Jesus to touch you again. So it gets just a little less blurry. Ask Jesus to touch you again so that that where you were at the beginning of the summer looks like you were a little bitty small baby, even though, truth be told, by the time we hit 80 in our faith, compared to what we will know when we are in His very presence, we will always be babes. The goal is to mature a little bit more, to not be satisfied with who we are in following Him right now. Because there are far too many Christians who who reach a certain stage spiritually and stop and never ever grow again. Do you see anything? I hope this week we see Him and we respond. I hope this week we see Him around us and we cannot help but want to be a part of what He's doing. I hope this week you see Him push you in ways that you didn't think were possible. And you're sore a little bit afterwards, but you feel that good exercise sore where you know you did something. Because the terrible days are the days where we don't feel anything at all. And I don't know about you, but personally when I'm 80, I want to be able to say I have never been so close to Jesus in my life. So before I end and we sing, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? Then pray with me. Father, touch us again. Make it a little less blurry. Make us see a little bit more of who you are and help us to be a little bit more like who you are until we see you face to face. Because while we see as in a, and dimly as in a poor mirror right now. We are heading towards the day where we will see you face to face. I pray this in the name of your son. Who helps us to follow him. And I pray helps us to do amazing things with him this week. Amen. Let's sing guys. You, oh it is on. Hey, Robert, do you want two or three?